dear podcast friends, welcome to Insights and Beyond, Digitalization, Sustainability and Technology. The podcast by Trelleborg Ceiling Solutions. You're in the right place if you're interested in the driving questions around topics like digitalization, electrification and sustainability. And above all, if you want to participate in a discussion with your exciting questions and comments. Experience the talks with our experts from Trelleborg and specialists from business, industry and research. So have fun with a new episode of Insights and Beyond. Twenty twenty is over and we're all looking forward to the new year, the new normal. For me, normal has become one thing in particular over the last year, shopping online. From clothes spins to groceries, everything was just a click away. And there was even more takeaway food, a beautiful digital world. But is this a sustainable world we are building? Or is the new normal in the area of sustainability more like the same old story with high CO2 emissions? And what does it really cost us to live sustainably? Once again, I have a lot of questions up my sleeve and fortunately, great experts at my side for the smart answers. Wilritz Rau, Professor of Digital Business Management and Sustainability at Hochschule Fresenius and Professor Dr. Konrad Sauer, Vice President Innovation and Technology at Trelleborg Ceiling Solutions. Hi, guys. Hey, hello. First of all, I have to ask you that question. What was the last thing you've ordered in the internet? A desk for my mobile office. Yeah, home office. It's really important to have a great home office. So what was it? Uh, it, was, it was actually a ring light for my wife. When she does uh, <laughs> video conferencing, she would like to look beautiful. This is the digital new working uh, world. Everything is uh, linked to our home office and remote work. So we're going to start our podcast about sustainability and we're going to answer some questions from the last, uh, from our last conference. And of course, we got some questions uh, of our audience here. So we're going to answer. I hope you're going to answer them because I just want to ask the questions. But first of all, we start with our format question. If somewhere were to give a book title about your plans on sustainability in 2021, what would the title be? Uh, my title would be Sustainable Innovation Through Digitization. Yeah, that would be a great ranking on Amazon <laughs> with all the keywords in it. Uh, what was it or what would it be for you? The new normal, is it Pandora's box? Oh, yeah. Hopefully we don't open that today in our discussion. <laughs> uh, second one, uh, everyone is talking about sustainability. What question do we have to ask ourselves to make the new normal more sustainable? I think the key question for business is uh, what is material to my business and where do I have a sustainability impact socially or environmentally and uh, economically? Yeah, where along the value chains can we create value? I think that is one of the key aspects. And value today is not only commercial, it's sustainability, currency, whatever we, we express it in. Yeah, so having a look at the whole ecosystem, that might be a Pandora box too. But we're going to talk about all the questions of our community and the audience. And first of all, Uh, in the intro, I mentioned that problem, and for me, it was really a huge problem. I wanted to support the locals with, uh, yeah, buying food there, and sometimes I had the, yeah, 
I had the honor <laughs> and the privilege to uh, go on, on business trips and, and travel a little bit last year. And therefore, I always needed some takeaway food in the evening because there was no restaurant open. So I had to use the takeaway service and I got mad about all the plastic of my food. And now I found the new thing, um, the recap system. And I thought, this is a cool thing. But I have to ask you that question. Is that really a cool thing? But, or is it just the first, let's say, uh, the first drop in the bucket for uh, the economy? Well, one of the things is uh, that we're still seeing a lot of uh, styrofoam and plastics when we, when we get uh, take-home food. But there are also already these, these little containers which are made from, uh, I think it's uh, made from uh, sugar cane. And I prefer having those containers And uh, I think it's it's al an alternative material which is which is good, and uh, will at some point in time and place when the single-use plastic ban is effective uh, replace the, the the styrofoam. And we almost uh, we all also have to do the first step. So mm -hmm. could this be a first step, or is it? not really relevant because it's just at the end of all the product lines and that's not really yeah important for our system well i don't know if it is more sustainable with um, when you read between the lines with the glues that go in how sustainable is that really but what it really does it industrializes a, a renewable raw material and we need more of those it is about closing uh, the, the the loops so it is either recycling or sourcing from nature and that can be given back to nature so i think it it helps industrializing industrializing new materials that we need in the future. So it's all a circle. It's all an ecosystem, not just one line, if you think in a sustainable way. Um, yeah, we're going to answer some questions. Uh, for example, this one, I think this is uh, one question we got at our Trelleborg uh, ceiling conference, the European ceiling conference last year in November. And the question is, um, in my previous job at a company with 70,000 employees, we did a lot for suppliers' social responsibility. How can a small company deal with it? I mean, I have got two people, <laughs> one one who worked for a big company for SAP, uh, Will, that, that was your uh, previous company. And uh, of course, Trelleborg isn't a small company, but maybe we have a little transfer knowledge. We can uh, yeah, explain the question or answer the question with. So what would you say, Will? Is it possible for small companies? Yes, I think it's uh, sustainability is a mindset. So if I want to, to deal with my suppliers, I should I should create a supplier code of conduct which uh, which contains values which are uh, relevant for me and for my business. So I should ask my suppliers to to be compliant to all worker laws, uh, to to avoid child labor, and, and uh, pay fair uh, fair fair wages. And Maybe some other points could be, for example, a term of credits, right? I mean, the the large companies they they take their time to pay the, to pay the uh, bills, and maybe that's that's also a good point for the for the smaller businesses. Or don't you think? Yes, just uh, just in these times where where the economy is very volatile, ninety days uh, uh, payment terms uh, maybe a killing factor for small companies, especially if you're if you're sourcing locally, which is also. Uh, a socially responsible uh, activity when when you support your communities uh, where your your business is uh, is uh, acting. 
So when you think not big, but small this time, what do you think um, can can the smaller companies do? I think that question also targets one point. Uh, it's just an interpretation of, of myself. So it's not what uh, what the, um, I don't know, the listener or the viewer ask. But I think it targets the point that sometimes or often those products are um, more expensive. I mean, when we have a look at the the cheap jeans, for example, our trousers, and we know this. This is not a, um, yeah, a fair paying for for the um, jeans. But if I want to have a real sustainable trouser, I have to pay more. And I think that's that's a target point of that question. Is it really like this? Is it too expensive for small companies to be sustainable? No, I think we, regardless if you're a small or a big company, it's about being smart. When you are a big company, you audit your suppliers. And if you're a smaller company, you also can visit your suppliers. And what Will says, just walk through the, the world with open eyes and then you see if products are being produced with fair labor. Um, do they have um, forced work, wh whatever that is. Um, so I think we it, it's a, an awareness question. And when we look, be, try to look behind the curtain, we know if it's the right or the wrong way. Just don't stop thinking. Don't stop thinking. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> I think that counts for every part of our life. Um, but coming back to those really huge companies, um, SAP plans to do it by 2025, Siemens by 2030 and RVE pl uh, wants to be ready by 2040. Greenhouse gas neutral business. So the number of such announcements doubled in 2020 alone, according to the World Economic Forum and the Boston Consulting Group. Very sporting in my view. Um, or what do you say? Is that a realistic goal for those big companies? I mean, SAP just has four more years. What do you say? Well, I can speak on our behalf and I think it's not different for very many of the other companies We know where we are right now. We do have established greenhouse gas inventories. So we exactly know what our footprint is today. And we know what our plans are. I mean, we have a commitment to have our CO2 emissions or carbon footprint by 2025 and be carbon neutral by 2035. So we know what we sign up for. There is still room for improvement in terms of more energy efficiency, how we create electricity, how we buy electricity. And at the end of the day, there is a small rest where we would need to buy emission certificates. I, I could only agree. And it's a, it's a business imperative. If you're looking at the investors, the last uh, most recent letter of, of Larry, Larry Fink, uh, CEO of, of BlackRock, He is significantly divesting from any business models which are based on, on fossil fuel energy, right? And similar to uh, what uh, Hazar just said is uh, SAP has their inventories on, about emissions. We know exactly uh, where the emissions are and what, what it costs to either uh, reduce emissions and become more energy efficient or compensate through certificates or, or offsets. I sometimes compare that uh, idea of reducing CO2 emission to a diet. And if I want to make a diet, I, I have to report my successes or maybe my non-successes. And sometimes it's not only about 
tweaking things. It's about a really disruptive change in some aspects. Uh, do you make some reportings? And if you, yeah, you're, you're yeah, nodding, I'm, I'm you're nodding your head. So you do so. So are you happy with the reports or are you getting nervous? Uh, I mean, 2025 is not far away. <laughs> no, it's not far away, but we, we know that we need to set ourselves ambitious targets. Well, for us, as Will said, it is informed by our shareholders. They want us to be sustainable because they want to invest their funds in long-term profitability. So for us, it is a business imperative. This is not tree-hugging. Um, it, and it's real. And it's it's our own employees that want us to be on the same journey. They want to work for a responsible company. So we, we do it with purpose. And I'm, I'm not nervous because, well, I'm not nervous if it is within our own territory, with our own fence, because that is something we can control, we can measure. And what can get measured, can get acted on, can be worked on. Where we are more uncertain is our indirect impacts. And that is something that we are now beginning to better understand, try to get data, um, that we really know what levels of influence we have on our indirect impacts. And that is spending, when we buy things, what is the ecological backpack of products that we buy? That we don't know today. Yeah, and there we are again at the box of Pandora. So <laughs> speaking of Pandora, uh, uh, one format question we have, and for those who are listening to our podcasts every time when we are publishing one, you know that we have one. It's a statement. And uh, yeah, I want to know if that is something which could be real or if it's more like a sci-fi idea of myself. So here's our solution or sci-fi statement Sustainability always means a price increase of the products. Well, I think I hand over to you because you really had a great keynote about that topic on our last conference. I, I think that is a wrong paradigm, right? <clears throat> Even though uh, sustainable products tend to be a little bit more pricey, but I think the comparison is to the normal products, which are too inexpensive because the externalities, so environmental harm or uh, emissions or degradation of, of nature through, through the raw materials are not priced in. That's going to change, right? Uh, and uh, you have to think about sustainable sourcing, sustainable production and uh, sustainable materials now because as you saw over the last few years or especially the last year and this year, There's going to be a CO2 tax. There's going to be a plastic tax in a few in a few years. So you have to prepare yourself today for your normal products because those externalities which will be priced in in the future uh, will increase your price for the normal products. And the sustainable products will probably uh, stay the same because they are already priced in. Mm. It's all a matter of uh, your, your own view. If you're looking to the normal things, maybe this is a too cheap life. I'm totally with you, but uh, I hand over to Conrad. What do you say? Is it really always a price increase? Well, it may be, but I think the fundamental question, as Will was alluding to, it's price versus value. Um, and today we are price focused, and I think in future we should be value focused. What am I buying? What do I get For it, And I'm not necessarily speaking about paying only for services and a service economy. Uh, and there may be aspects where some things needed to be agreed and, and uh, industrialized. We, we talked about the renewable resources. Today, we do not have big industrialized, highly efficient manufacturing processes for those. So they are a little bit more pricey. 
But when we introduce them to the markets, we create markets that drives the efficiency. So we need to agree along the value chains that we bring these disruptive new materials into the economy because we have no choice. All the other resources are finite and will become more expensive in the future because we have dissipative uses where things just disappear. Or when carbon is in the air, the oil is burned, it's gone. So we, we need to begin to industrialize these alternative materials. So they may be a little bit more pricey, but either through uh, government actions or through scarcity of resources, that will mitigate out pretty soon. But I can totally understand that the people, so the customers, uh, just focus on the price. For example, now we have the CO2 tax and at a gas station, I have to pay 15 to 70 cents more per liter, uh, of course, depending on oil price and dollar exchange rate. But of course, I have a look at the price if it's targeting my wallet. So it couldn't be the idea that the customer at the end has to pay for everything. I think that's not the point which you want to make with your company because you want to have happy customers. So is there is there any exchange uh, amongst you and the OEMs to solve that problem? Or is it just, yeah, you have to use your wallet more often and more deeper? <laughs> well, it's not about always being more pricey. Now, a tax is something a government puts on our burdens to change behaviors. Um, and that's something different what we do when we are talking business to business. Um, there are very clear incentives. The, For example, when we talk the automotive industry and other segments, they have disincentives if their fleets consume too much um, fuel. So they work with their value chains. Where do we get innovative technologies that will help us accomplishing our objectives? And here it is really about creating value. Here it is not the, the question of the price. Here is it, how can we accelerate innovations that help us achieving these objectives uh, to be successful long term? Uh Yeah, speaking of uh, profitable business cases, this is also a question um, from the audience and someone asked, how and when can sustainability be profitable? I think this is the master question every time we're talking about that. So, well, I, I, what do you say? When can and, and how, of course, can a company be uh, sustainable? Always. You know, you shouldn't do any sustainability project if you, if you don't have a if you if you don't have a positive business case. If, if it doesn't if it doesn't work out and and uh, keeps you uh, economically prosper uh, prosper, then you shouldn't do it. No, uh, no, no money, no sustainability, and vice versa. But I think what Conrad uh, said is that uh, sustainability will drive profitability as well if you use less energy if you lose, uh, use less less resources if you if you control your risk and uh, avoid fees and fines that is sustainable business which pays out in the end and keeps you profitable uh, on the long term long term i think that is that is the key element we shouldn't look into the short termism but we should look into the long term that is what the key stakeholders of organizations are really looking at, the good ones. But that can sometimes fear us. I mean, sometimes it's, it seems like this is a mountain of work and we can't get over it. So 
for a lot of people and I think also for a lot of companies, the first step is really the toughest one. And uh, therefore, we have another question. Uh, and I think that's one for you. And I think it's from our conference. Um, Will, how have you implemented sustainable processes at SAP? And I think we have to highlight the word implement. <laughs> Well, it's a lot about uh, uh, transparency. That's one part. But uh, what Conrad said a little earlier is do you have to understand what is what is material to your business? On the one hand side, what do your stakeholders actually want? And the stakeholders are your employees, are your investors, are your customers. Ask them what is, what is really material uh, to do business with you. That's one piece. Once you have that stuff, you understand which are the KPIs you have to measure and then set targets. And then follow those tra targets through and make sure that the, the numbers you're creating, social and environmental numbers, are as exact and reliable as your financial numbers, meaning you should audit them. And then be very transparent on your performance in terms of social, environmental and economic performance. And if you want to convince your management, you have to link, connect the social and environmental performance with the financial performance. And then all of a sudden, aha, sustainability is not about tree-hugging, it's not about philanthropy, it has a significant impact on your economic performance. If you want to start a successful way and road to sustainability, just put it into an Excel list. <laughs> That's how you convince all the stakeholders. But um, Conrad, I know you're doing um, for a long time already uh, sustainable work in uh, your company. And I think it's pretty hard for you to remember, but maybe we can go back to the day you started in your company. What what did you do? How did you start the implementation of sustainability? Pretty much what gets measured uh, gets attention or only what gets measured can be managed. So it is about establishing where my footprint is, how much energy do I consume? And then it becomes pretty simple because then it's a business case. Do I want to have a new heating? Do I want to have this, that? And so it is a business case. It, this investment, so I consume less energy, payback time is X, Y, Z. So it becomes manageable. Um, how do you eat an elephant? in small pieces, uh, learn about it. And it's setting targets, auditing these targets. Um, and so it's manageable. And this is establishing processes. Now, for us in our own company, it comes from the top, our investors, the shareholders, and it comes from our people. We have a group of influencers across the organization, and it's very important to listen uh, to, to the interested parties that we have that are most relevant to us, our, our stakeholders. It's the shareholders, it's our people, and it's our customers. So, and it's about measuring. I love that idea of influencers in the own company. Um, Coming back to my point at the beginning with the um, takeaway food, and I have to say I was totally disappointed by using a recap system. Why? I found out that uh, it's not as sustainable as I thought it would be. Uh, the Wuppertal Institute for Climate has done the math and says if you use a recap for your coffee every day, it pays for itself ecologically after two months um, compared to the disposable cup. But often people, and I have to say I'm one of them, they just use it once or twice and it's always the same. I want 
I want to grab a cup of coffee and then I think, okay, I've forgotten my cup, of course, because I don't wear all the time a big bag or take it with me. So I don't have that coffee cup with me. So the question is, does sustainability fail because of convenience? What do you say? Is that our major problem, convenience? I would say convenience is one piece, but it's a, it's a question of mindset. When you when you truly think sustainable, you 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 make choices, right? So do I do I take the car to go to the bakery in the morning, or do I walk? Everything within the, in the parameter of three or four kilometers in my in my city, I'm I'm walking or using the bike. And uh, to your point, two months is uh, is uh, is one piece, but you're using that recup for the next year in the best way. And even if you have two. Right, so that that the impact you're creating, the negative uh, environmental impact you're creating through the single-use stuff, uh, is is uh, will be bigger if you're reusing the stuff. And at some point in time and space, through legislation, the single-use plastic will be banned anyway. Yeah, and it's always like the the comparison to our diet. Uh, if you do sports once, that's fine. But <laughs> to make an impact, you have to do sports uh, two or three times a week. So what was the uh, experience with your influencers? What is, was it the same problem? First of all, they were hyped about that idea and then the convenience uh, beat back or how was it? No, but there were a lot of lessons learned and things where we assume this would be more environmentally friendly turned out to be not more environmentally friendly. And at the end of the day, we we, we, we learn every day about what is truly um, sustainable. Uh, and sometimes we have to do course corrections and throw old assumption overboard and just uh, Im accept that there is new facts um, and, and, and new things out there. So I don't think that convenience is the challenge. I think routines are more of our challenge uh, or standards or processes. When when you have sort of rules, you ought to do it this way. Um, I think this is preventing innovation big time. So I think we, we need more openness to change fundamental assumptions. Yeah, sustainability is really implemented when you don't have to think about it. That's that's really a good point. We're at the end of our podcast. And for those who are listening to us, every time when we publish a new podcast, I think you know that we're doing a ceiling test for those who are new. We always do a ceiling test at the end of our podcast and we are testing the resilience on a topic and, of course, the flexibility. For example, resilience uh, is a huge topic for rubber. If you, um, yeah, if you are using a material like that, you can really, um, yeah, make a huge pressure on that uh, material and then it returns back in its initial state. So this is a really a great capability. So therefore, my question is, uh, where do we need to become more resilient to drive sustainability forward in 2021, Will? Uh, number one is, uh, I think we, sh we saw very, very dramatically how we can change when change is needed over the last 12 months. So things were, uh, were demanded and we were able to adjust our life according to, to the new situation. But what, what, what I would like to suggest is uh, we should stay curious or become even more curious and try to understand and look at solutions. I'm a biologist from nature, right? Nature has optimized 
individuals or ecosystems over the past four and a half billion years. And uh, the majority until we started to in influence nature, most of the uh, natural systems were very, uh, very resilient. And I think we can still learn a lot of uh, engineering, but also social behavior from from nature. I have to uh, say that there's one example I can remember. That's the Audi space frame, and they use the um, yeah they use the idea of of nature to make it more flexible, but at the same time really um, yeah in a strength way, so that the people in the car are protected. Mm -hmm. That was a, you're you're again nodding your head. So yeah, you I, know, I was you involved, know more about it. <laughs> I was involved in the design, and yes, it was uh, the one of the first. Uh, attempts to use bionic principles with a, a, a node space frame design was connected with nodes. So it, it, it took an element um, of, of grass leaves, um, how flexible and at the same time stiff uh, they can be. And, and this is where we as a society have to be resilient because every now and then there will be a wind coming from a certain direction and we should not just let ourselves be blown away like a, a lost leaf, but um, refocus on on the targets that we have set ourselves and, and not flavor of the month because then we, we will be a leaf in the wind. Yeah, and, and you said something very uh, important. The flexibility is also something which is important not only for our lives right now, but also for uh, yeah driving sustainability forward. Where what do you think? Where have to we? Where do we have to become more flexible um, in terms of sustainability in 2021, especially? We have to stay flexible, and as I said a little earlier, let's learn learn from nature. And if 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 I may quote Darwin. Darwin says it's not the strongest who survives, but it's the person who is uh, most capable of adjusting to new situations. And that's what we have to do on a daily basis. And we have to adjust our behavior. We have to adjust our life uh, and stay uh, on top of what we do uh, and do the best what we can do, following our targets towards a sustainable economy and a sustainable in, uh, society. So do you say more flexibility in our heads? For example, <laughs> yes, we don't know what we, we speak about the new normal. We don't know what the new normal is. So we need that flexibility and we, we need to learn because what we believed what was true um, may not be true so much longer. So we, we, we have to be open. And, and one thing where I see the, the biggest stumbling block, I'm an engineer by basic training. So we like to work with specifications and standards and they are engraved in marble. Um But sometimes they freeze and lock us in on old dinosaur solutions. Um, and we need to have the, the wisdom to say, when do we need to leave old ground and accept something new? Uh, and that is where we need to become more flexible, preparedness to accept new realities. Normally, we are at the end of the podcast right now after our ceiling test. But today, I want to end with a really... I, I love that question, to be honest. I love that question from the audience. Um, someone asked, and I just want to make uh, or want you to make a little statement, really a short statement at the end to that question. And the question is, what would you say to entrepreneurs who focus on making unstoppable profit instead of sustainable profit? It's, a, it's about long-term prosperity, economic prosperity. Don't maximize your profit, but uh, create value. Uh, to to your customers. Short-term profitability is short-term. 
and not long-term, not sustainable. You won't be in business too long if you focus on the quick dollar. Yeah, so I can't add anything which is smart. So <laughs> I stop it and leave it like that. And I say, thank you very much. And I think we can grab a cup of coffee in a real coffee cup. No no takeaway coffee right now. Uh, of course, with a social distance, we have to keep. But I think we well deserved it right now. So thank you very much for your answers and for your time. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks, a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you don't want to miss anything, just subscribe to our podcast. And of course, we are happy to receive feedback from you. So we're looking forward to your ratings and comments. And of course, we still want to answer your questions. Therefore, feel free to write us at info.podcasts at trelleborg.com. Thanks a lot and see you next time.